probeer is die beste geweer. Trying is the best. I don't know the last word. Weapon. Weapon. Yeah. You put the pro in probeer. <laughs> you put the heart in psychotic. <laughs> 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 Welcome to Thunder Noodle. Oogly, boogly, oodly, that sounded awful on my end. <clears throat> it was beautiful, girl. Thanks, girl. Hi, guys. It is full episode Friday, and you're going to be listening to me yap my trap. So excited. Oh, girl. Stop. Oh. Um, we're going to do an international case today. Oh, fantastic. We're going over the seas. Over to America. 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 Um, just because this is a very interesting case. It's very known, I would say, mm. but maybe not to us, South Africans. So, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Okay. Hit me. Hit me. So, we're going to be talking about the Watts family murders. The Watts family murders? Yes. Watts? Watts? Watts you talking about? Oh, wait, we're American. Watts you talking? No, that doesn't work. <laughs> Never mind. Carry on. Okay. As you were. <laughs> As I was. So, this happened in Frederick, Colorado, America. That's... I don't know what that place looks like, so I can't really set a scene. But... Frederick Kaluradu. Lek Marika. Marika. Lekka. On August 13th, 2018, at 20 to 2 in the afternoon, 911 received a phone call from one of Shannon Watt. No, her name is not Shannon. I knew I was going to fuck that up. Her name is Shanann. <laughs> Shanann. <laughs> um, one of Shanann Watts' friends. Her name was Nicole. Was. Her name is Nicole. Oh. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were already starting, you know. Oh, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me jumping. <laughs> wow. You're like, this ties into a conversation that we were having like 10 minutes earlier about <laughs> this being a party. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> that wasn't just... Maybe there was something there. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> you know? A little... Residue. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Nicole's alive. Okay, Nicole I'm is already alive. starting with my questions. Here we go. So she says to this 911 operator that she's worried about Shanann because Shanann is 15 weeks pregnant and she had, over the weekend that had just passed, um, said to Nicole that she wasn't really feeling well and then no one could get hold of her. And Everybody was a little bit worried and, oh, fuck, sorry. Nicole was a bit stressed, you know. Where's my friend at? Where's Bestie? She tried to get some of their other friends to get hold of it. No one really could. It was... Do your thing, girl. It was weird. So she decides to go to the house and knock on the door. She's knocking on the door. No one's answering. It's super weird because her car's in the driveway. Um, Nicole says that the shoes she wears every day is sitting there at the front door. And no one's answering. So, so Shanann takes her shoes off when she enters her house. Maybe. She's a little neat freak, okay? So, hold on, I lost my pace because I dropped my phone. Okay, so 
let's talk a little bit about Shanann and her husband, Chris. So they met when Shanann was in a bad place. She had just been diagnosed with some health issues. I didn't really find out what. And Chris had sent her a request on Facebook and they started talking and she didn't really think that anything was going to come of it when she first started talking to him. But eight years later, they were married and they had two kids. Now, Shanann was very fond of social media. She liked to vlog and she was like a little influenza, you know. She ah. she was very into sharing her life online. And so, you know, people... Like a Facebook you, mom. Yeah. So she was very active on her phone and, you know, mm. love it. So she was described to be an extrovert. She was kind, funny, caring, and generous. This was said by one, by her, her neighbor. Chris was described as friendly but quiet and he worked as a mechanic at a a oil tank place thing and she worked as a marketing person but her job allowed her to work from home so she was a stay-at-home mom well not a stay-at-home mom but a a mommy that worked from home so she was able to be with her kids her two daughters um her kids were apparently her number one thing in the world you know, means everything. And she's so. pregnant now, hey? And now she's pregnant. Again. Okay. So, she has a daughter named Bella, who is four years old. She was quiet, but happy. She was described to have a very happy-go-lucky attitude. I have a weird question. Yeah. Did you say 15 months pregnant? 15 weeks. Okay. That, sorry, weird. Not, that <laughs> isn't even an intrusive thought. It was just, it popped up. I sorry. get it. Okay. So... <laughs> Um, it was said that whenever she was seen out in the playing in her yard, ooh, playing in her yard and stuff, I'm gonna sneeze soon. Um, <laughs> she would wave to her neighbor, very cute little Nunupa, and then Cece, Cecilia was her full name, but everybody called her Cece. Um, she was three years old. She was described to be a little firecracker, very oh. big personality, and apparently she just had a very infectious laugh. Second child, man. Yeah, cutie pie. Um, so as I said, when Shanann was murdered, she was 15 weeks pregnant with a, um, this was with... Shanann was murdered. Oh, shit. When Shanann went missing. Yeah. Okay. My bad. When Shanann went missing, um, she was 15 weeks pregnant with a boy and they were going to name their little boy Niku. Oh. Yes. What Afrikaans name? Niku. Right. Yeah. Um, so just in general, they seem to have a really great family, a good home, good careers. They just seem to be very loving, nothing out of the ordinary, your typical American family, you know? So yeah, on Monday when the call was made from Nicole, she seemed very scared. As I said before, Shanann was very busy on social media and Nicole was just like, there's no way she would have left her her house without her phone. It was very, very suspicious. So when the cops got to the house, Nicole explained that she had tried to contact Shanann and try to get her friends to contact her. And her car was in the garage. Her shoes were in uh, in the front door, in the front door, by the front door. And she even tried to get hold of Chris. And Chris had said... That she had gone on a play date with the girls and that's probably where she is. 
but this didn't feel right. When Nicole said that she wanted to call the police to Chris, he was like, no, 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 just hold on. It's fine. I'm on my way home. I'll be there in 45 minutes. Nicole phoned the police anyway. Yeah. You know. Bestie knows best. Right. You can be missing for two seconds. I'll phone the police. Right. Don't leave me ever. No. Even you. Okay. Okay. Police try to get in the house, try to see if there was a door open, a window maybe, while they were waiting for Chris. They even started to speak to some neighbors who said they hadn't seen her throughout the day. Um, they then found out through their neighbors that they that Shanann was a diabetic and they thought that maybe her blood pressure has spiked and she was passed out alone with these two girls inside. They don't know. So now there's even more stress on top of it. Um, <clears throat> they then decide to phone Chris, the police. They're like, no, we're going to phone Chris. And they ask him if he knows where she is. They're like, is there any way you know where she possibly might be? And police explain that they were worried about her being a diabetic. And they just were trying to find out if there was anyone inside or if there was any way for them to get inside while waiting for Chris. And Chris is like, I'll be there now. I'll be there now. 45 minutes. All of this is happening in 40. That's quite quick, eh? Mm -hmm. That's that's some good Well. Good-ish response time, I'm guessing. They there before the husband. Literally. So police were very uncertain about the situation as even in... Her, they realized that even in her car, her car seats, her kids' car seats are still in the car. So they are, if someone would have fetched you, would have you maybe taken your car seats or whatever? Yeah. But they also realized that they can't hear anything coming from inside. They can't hear the girls. They can't hear her. There's just no... No sound coming from inside. Yeah, if she was passed out, the kids would probably be screaming right. or something. something. Yeah. Um, but And the house was locked from the inside. Yeah. So they were what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Very suspicious. So they took a look around the house to see if they could find any rooms that they might be locked in or whatever. But they couldn't. So eventually Chris arrives and he was very cooperative. He eventually well gets there and opens up and the police start to look around the house to see if they can find these kids or shenan it's very strange though that he doesn't tell the police break the door down you know i would have been like burn you fucking get fucking. in there i can only be there in 20 minutes yeah. 45 minutes fucking get in there what's Literally. going on you know yeah so, Chris was apparently very cooperative during this time. He let them look around, but they couldn't find anything. There was no signs that she had left. So, yeah, that she had left. There was... It was just think, weird. Now, and I want to ask you, you know, but I'm like, do you think she left him? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the type of questions they're asking. Yeah. And they are super curious. And there's not even a sign that there was like attempted robbery, anything like that. Yeah, and she didn't, if she left him just in the middle of the night, like, yo, I'm done with this, she mm. probably would have told her friend, her bestie, and she would have taken her car. Right. Okay. Very suspicious. So, Chris said that the last thing he heard from his wife was that she was taking the girls to a playdate, but he couldn't understand why her car was still at the house. And he also stated that he hadn't heard from her all day. But Chris, in his own words, admits that he was the last person 
to see Shanann alive. Okay. When searching the house, they found that sh- they found that Shanann had left her wallet, her handbag, her medication, and her phone. Now, if she had left on purpose, mm-hmm. why would you leave your medication, mm-hmm. your phone, your wallet? She has nothing with her. Her phone being missing was obviously very suspicious because everyone knew that she would not leave her house without a phone, but also her meds. Police asked Chris if they had had any marital issues and Chris said they were actually currently going through a separation, but said that it was quite civil between the two of them for the most part, which then created the theory that she possibly left with the girls. But why would you leave all your stuff? You would take something. Yeah. So Chris said that when he left in his truck at 5.30 that morning to go to work, Shanann was still in bed, alive, and so were the girls. They were in their rooms in bed. While police were still at the house, they were contacted by a neighbor. Yes. So they were contacted by one of their neighbors named Nathan. He said that he actually had a security camera that was in an angle that would be able to see some part of their driveway. So he was like, maybe we can see if there was a car here, if she left, something. Um, Very cooperative neighbors over here. Right. So they go to Nathan's house, the police and Chris. They stand in Nathan's house and they play the CCTV footage on a very big TV. Yeah. And the video footage picked up motion of Chris backing his truck up out of the driveway and then back into his garage at 5.27 a.m. Chris said he did this to make it easier for him to load his truck with all his tools. The video shows him making several trips back and forth. However, the camera angle only shows the driver's side and he was loading things on the passenger side. So they couldn't see what he was taking, but they could just see him taking stuff. What car did he have? A truck. Oh, was he putting like stuff at the back? Yeah. Oh, I get that. Um, sorry, I lost my place again. So then Chris started to like list a bunch of things that he was loading into the car. Just tools and random shit. The camera then shows Chris leaving for work at 5.45 a.m. There was no other motions picked up for the rest of the day. And the next thing that happens is Nicole pitches up to the house and phones the police. So they're like, what is going on here? This is very weird. Apparently, Chris really wasn't watching the tape. He didn't really pay attention. He looked down a lot. He avoided eye contact with the people. He kept looking at his phone, kept looking at the floor. And any time he spoke, it was to justify something or to prove something. It was very weird. His body language was also very strange. So people were like, "Mm, okay. You can even see on police body cam footage, as soon as Chris leaves, Nathan looks at them and just says, he's not acting right. Something's wrong. Oh, shit. The neighbor. Yeah. Police start to think that there's something much bigger going on and they decide to go back into the house and do a thorough forensic investigation. There wasn't really a sign of struggle. Nothing was really broken or out of place. Very strange. One of the only suspicious things was police noticed that the top sheet of the main bed was missing. 
Police dogs even came in, but no evidence was found. Police reached out to FBI and another police force. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name. And ask for help. And detectives decide they're going to start deep diving on who Shanann and Chris really are. What's what's the story here? What's going on? Let's find out. Because there's nothing else pointing to anything. Yeah. They don't really have a choice. It's always the husband. (laughs) So by the time that 20 hours... By the time that 28 hours had passed since the girls had gone missing and police found out, police made a public announcement about the missing mother and daughters. Um, Chris even did an interview on the news about it and said his whole thing of, oh, please, I just want my family home and I hope they're safe. Just come back, bring them back. If you left, come back. Okay. Whole thing. And mm, I always find those things so eerie. Same. Because people emote differently. Mm. And I don't know how on point my discernment is. Because mm. I've met people not like them. And then they turn out to be super legit people. Yeah. I've liked some people that turned out to be really shit people. So I think I I try to be suspicious, you know. Yes. <laughs> but I can never tell. Mm. I can never tell. So I hate those things. I don't like them. Because I'm like, either you're deceiving me or I'm not believing somebody that's really going through some right. shit. And each way makes me angry. Yeah, like the Madeline McCann parents. Up and down. Bitch. I don't know. Up and down. I don't know. I have a lot to say about that case, but yeah, we'll get into that some other time. Yeah. So he does his whole interview thing. Also really weird. Really. He's so cool, calm and collected. Like all put together, all, yeah, come home. I hope they're safe. He doesn't seem stressed, phased, bothered. It's so weird. Yeah, you see, and that's a... Sorry, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, mm-hmm. but my dad is the calmest person that you will ever meet. Mm. He, We used to say, if our house burned down, my dad would probably stand back and literally tell everyone, oh, we probably need to go find another place to stay, guys. You know, he is... If he watches rugby, this is the most revved up he gets angrily. He'll be like, no. Okay, go. Yes. They scored. Yes. Good. And then he takes a sip of his beer. So <laughs> the most emotion he ever shows is when he pisses himself laughing at Mr. Bean. Other than that, that, he is always cool, calm and collected. Mm. Always. So like I said, different. I don't know, but I'm very suspicious now. Yes. Gyal. So Tell me. people noticed this and were suspicious. It raised a few red flags. A few eyebrows. And the interview gave people uh, uh, bad vibes. Oh, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. bad vibes. Yeah. And they just knew they had to do something. These investigators and detectives, they were like, Mm-mm, we need to do something about yeah. this. So they decided to interview Chris and it was recorded so they could get his story down as well as set up a polygraph test for him. So like interrogation vibes. Mm-hmm. Okay. At this point, he wasn't labeled as a suspect and they tried not to spook him out too much as he was the only one that could really possibly help police find Shanann and the girls. Yeah. 
So Chris said that he thought she was at someone's house cooling down because they had had a disagreement that morning. But he said that at this point he is realizing that something is wrong and he thinks someone might have taken her. Police had Chris write out a written statement and they took several hours going over it to make sure that he wanted it to say what he wanted it to say. Police, I was about to restart that whole paragraph. (laughs) So in his statement, it says basically that at 2 a.m., Nicole drops Shannon off after they had gone on a trip together and she gets into bed with Chris. At 4 a.m., his alarm goes off for work. They have a conversation about putting the house up for sale. He says the conversation got emotional and he said that Shanann was... Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm going to start that again. Okay. So at 4 a.m. his alarm goes off for work. They then wake up and they have a conversation about putting the house up for sale. And he says that this conversation got really emotional and that Shanann... He feels like Shanann realized how serious the separation was getting and she freaked out basically okay, so these two are planning on separating yeah she's pregnant yeah okay and he says that in the heat of the moment she turned around and said she was going to take the kids and go to a friend for the day and that she would be back later this is now the play date that he spoke <coughs> of mm-hmm. okay Police then asked if he could connect any dots as to what could have happened between then and now, as in the moment of the interrogation. And Chris states that he just can't help but think that the conversation had led her to feeling like she had to leave. It's also important to note that investigators found Shannon's phone. Shannon. Shannon's phone. um, It was squished between couch cushions. And they found it while they were searching the house. While going through her phone, police discovered that she had spoken to multiple friends about Chris' growing distance. And she even brought up that she recommended that they go to counseling, but he was resistant. He wasn't interested, didn't want to do it. He... Oh, he seemed to be trying to take a small portion of responsibility in the interview, but police still didn't believe him and decided they needed to turn up the heat because he's sitting there in this interview room going, yeah, we had a a bit of a heated argument. I suppose maybe this is partially my fault. Maybe my conversation triggered her to leave, but that's all he's really saying. And police are like, "Mm -mm, we need a, we need you to talk. So, while Chris continues to claim that he has nothing to do with this, police decide to show him pictures of the girls in Shanann. This creates more suspicion as Chris then begins to speak about the girls, but in past tense. (gasps) Police asked about the marriage and possible affairs. However, Chris denies that either of them ever had an affair, but police stop pressuring him and asking him maybe if he had a possible mistress. He denies this. Police were trying to find out the reason for the separation and why Chris said they that he wanted to, to leave. And Chris just kept saying that they had grown apart and fallen out of love. But she's f- 15 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so investigators just say that the timing just doesn't make sense and it, 
in his words says and i quote it sounds like a load of horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when cops become unhinged. It's like when Barack Obama called yay a jackass. <laughs> I'm just like, I live for these moments, guy. <laughs> it's amazing. So Chris didn't seem like he was really interested in finding the girls, nor helping with information on the case, let alone following up with it. Police decide to do a polygraph test the next day as it was really late his interview had gone on for three hours and they were like we don't want anything to disturb this polygraph test yeah so chris agrees that he would go the next day at 11 o'clock when chris leaves that evening investigators were going through his computer and cell phone records this would change the entire case and basically push it on its head oh wow when chris arrived for his polygraph he came with his father, who had who he had just picked up from the airport. He flew across the country or whatever. Investigators took his dad to one room and Chris to another while the polygraph took place. Chris stated in the polygraph room. Um, the investigator was like, how are you feeling? What, and he was like, I just feel sick. I feel sick to my stomach. So going into this polygraph... What Chris didn't know was that police had now found info that he had failed to mention in their previous interrogation. Mm. Through text, emails, messages, and photos, police quickly discovered that Chris had for quite a period of time actually been having an affair with a co-worker from the oil company. Chris lying about ding. Mm-hmm, Chris lying about this made police wonder what else he could have been lying about. They this also created a motive. Yeah, for him. yeah, yeah. But Chris, uh, Chris, the police were really suspicious because in their heads they're thinking your wife and two girls are missing. Anything could help this case, and you're choosing to lie about a mistress. Yeah what what is going on yeah that is to rather be up front and say okay i am cheating put all your cards on the table i understand that whole thing of you don't want to seem guilty if you're not Mm. and sometimes saying shit that you're not supposed to or saying shit and just being honest can get you into shit yeah but i mean if you didn't do anything wrong just admit to the shit that you maybe did wrong if you didn't fucking kill someone Fucking blurt out the rest. It just it right? doesn't. If your concern over your children literally must be bigger than your concern over yourself, right? Because I mean, if my daughter goes missing, but I was fucking snuffing cocaine, I'm gonna tell the police, "Yo, bro, I was fucking snuffing cocaine. Take me to jail. That's fine, but find my fucking kid." I agree. I don't care what happens to me. Find my fucking kid. I agree. I don't snuff coke though. Just mm-hmm. to preface that. <laughs> Just by the way. Just by the way. We don't do that up in this bitch. No, no. No, no. The only drug we take is coffee and life. Oh, and you and your, your cabbage. My jazz cabbage. Jazz cabbage. I almost said. <laughs> oh, please tell me. <laughs> bitch, I knew it was something with music. And my brain didn't want to go to jazz. So I almost said blues cabbage. 
And I'm like, in my head, I heard that doesn't make any sense. That does not make any sense. Okay. <laughs> so it's not even that funny. Anyway. So investigators decide they try, they're going to try and not give Chris the impression that they know about the affair. However, the investigator also wants to put pressure on him, implying that the truth will come out in the polygraph. So in the interview, she sits there and she repeatedly says to him, if you've done anything, if you know about anything, if you're planning on lying about anything, sitting in this room is the worst idea you could ever make. And that makes sense because in a polygraph, they must get a baseline. Mm -hmm. So they tell you to say, for instance, or as far as I know, what I've seen from the movies Mm -hmm. and from interrogations and stuff, they will, for instance, make you say, stupid example, the sky is pink Mm. and you're lying. But that in your brain isn't you know it's a lie but it's not necessarily an intended lie yeah but now if they're asking him do you have an affair and he says no they have a perfect baseline for lying exactly get that Ooh, detectives wanted to see if he would still lie about the affair and when she brought it up um yeah so when she brought it up he said that there was never anyone else and he would never do that to shanann this raised a lot of suspicion. So they had a beginning practice test. I'm pretty sure that's what that whole situation is. Mm. And the real polygraph test begun. But before it began, the investigator looks at Chris one last time and says to him, the cool thing about this thing, oh, I'm quoting this, the cool thing about this thing is right now there's only one person in this room that knows the truth. But in about five minutes, there will be two of us. Ooh, goosies. Bitch. And now they... Ooh, maybe I'm wrong. My brain is running again, girl. So now they know he's lying. So if they can get him to admit that, then they can exclude that in the polygraph from the lying and whatever else he lies about, they know that there's something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, girl. You think that's what they did? Maybe. Oh, I just want to delve into investigators' brains because it's so interesting. Right. Yeah. So detective asked questions and then they went up to grade the results. So if you get a plus two or higher, you're considered to be truthful and that Mm. you're honest. Negative four or lower, you're considered being deceitful and lying. Chris scored a negative 18. So his nose increased in length and he had a warm feeling in his pelvic region Mm -hmm. liar liar pants on fire Mm -hmm. he failed every single question on the test this caused chris to become the primary suspect every single question (sighs) august 15th chris was being interviewed by detectives at the same time officers were taking photos of the area where chris worked an oil field known as Survey 319. At this site, a white sheet was found. Mm -mm, Is it the bed sheet? There was also an area of disturbed dirt, which police also thought was a shallow grave. More red flags. Police and investigators are now at the point where they need to get Chris to confess. Investigators inform him that he failed his test and Chris keeps saying he never lied. 
He continued to say that he had left the girls in their bed, but he starts to realize police are onto him. So he tries to take the easy way out. And as a distraction, to me, in my opinion, he was using this as as a distraction, he admits to cheating on her. But it's too little too late, bro. Right. But he says he didn't want to get her involved because he didn't want to ruin her life. Investigators then admit that they had already known about her before they started the polygraph. But police knew this wasn't the only lie he had told. Mm. Police try a victim-blaming approach, making it seem like maybe Shanann was the bad person in this situation, saying things like, oh, I feel like she was a difficult person to live with. Maybe you didn't understand this about her. Maybe she was horrible in this way. Mm. Trying to get him almost to be like, yes, and that's what pushed me to do something or whatever the case yeah, the more maybe. you talk the easier it is for you to slip up exactly so they did this in hopes that it would lead to him admitting something they even asked if shanann did something to the kids that maybe caused him to do something to her but he keeps saying that they were alive when he left but they kept playing on this theory that she was maybe the bad guy and he was just trying to help yeah but Soon it seemed like he started to crack, so he requests to speak to his dad. And investigators were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place at this point because they needed to make a a split decision on whether to allow him to talk to his dad or not, as it could possibly alter the way the case goes. So there's two things I want to say on this. The first thing is Chris wants to speak to his dad outside of the room while investigators want him inside in the room as there are cameras mm. recording it. You want to know what you say, bitch. Exactly. It just feels like he wanted to go somewhere where he couldn't be heard. They are also worried. The second thing is they're also worried about this, this dad stepping in because he could become really protective over him yeah. and tell him to request a lawyer, which could completely throw the case. Chris was allowed to see his dad due to Chris not actually being in custody at this point. So he had the option of walking out at any point. So investigators thought maybe let's just give him a little so that he doesn't storm out of here and throw this whole case. So that's also why they're trying to kind of appear as though they are on his side making her the bad boo-boo. Exactly. So they think that maybe this will help them with their investigation and now she's she's still missing yes so ronnie the stepdad he goes in to the investigation room that they were in and they try and speak really softly but you can still hear what they're saying so chris goes in and chris goes in ronnie goes in and chris admits to him that he failed the polygraph test And Chris asked if it was because maybe he was just really emotional. And Chris was like, maybe, I don't know. Chris also admitted to the affair. And this is when his dad asks if there's anything else Chris needs to tell him. And Chris then begins to tell another story. He says that he doesn't want to protect Shanann anymore. And states that she hurt the girls, which made him freak out and hurt her. He says he went downstairs and when he went back upstairs, the girls were gone. His dad asked if Shanann killed them and Chris just says that the girls were blue. He says that Shanann strangled them to death 
and he freaked out and did the same thing to her. His dad said that he was enraged by the fact that Shanann had killed Cece and Bella and just proceeds to hold Chris's hand. Oh, I don't know, hey? I'm waiting for you to give me a big fucking twist in this story. But how are you going with the narrative that the police just gave you? Like, what are the odds of that happening? Literally. So police and investigators are shocked at this point because they then realize that the girls would not be coming home. Everybody still had a little bit of hope, but they've just realized no one's coming home from this. Investigators get back into the the room and begin to question Chris again. He says that he saw on the moni- on a monitor those baby monitor things mm-hmm. that Bella's sheets were off and she was just lying on the floor blue and Shanann was in there choking her. He says that he ran upstairs and put his hands around her neck and started to strangle her on her daughter's bed. I feel like this was just him trying to shift the blame and make himself look innocent. Yeah. My opinion at that point. <clears throat> They then ask the important question of where are the girls? Yeah. He then just states that they're gone and there's no way of bringing them back. They ask him again and that's when he tells investigators that he had taken them to Survey 319. His workplace where they found the blankie. Okay. He says that all three of the girls were there and the area... Oh, what? Shanann as well. Yes. Okay. So all three of them are there. Now, because the area was very vast, investigators needed him to help them. Pinpoint the location. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they printed out a little map and he marked it on the map of where the bodies were. This is when investigators found out. Oh, this is so awful. That he had buried Shanann. But he then marks where the girls are. And he marks the two oil tanks that are on the property. No. Now, I don't know if all of you understand what I'm talking about. But it's those big, like, concrete looking... Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, those... Let me get a photo. Those big... They almost are these cylindrical... Yes. Big ass fucking... In movies, usually people get stuck in there and there's like fucking corn in there. Like in the new... um chicken run movie where they make the corn turn into popcorn like a thing like that yeah okay hold on this is what they look like yeah it looks like those food no and there's oil in there it's a mixture of oil and water so Hold on, I lost my place. Okay. Investigators are shocked at this and ask him if the girls are inside the tanks. And he says yes. Inside the tanks is a mixture of oil and water. And investigators then ask what the sheet was from. And he says that's what he had wrapped Shanann in. Investigators give Chris another chance to tell the full truth. Asking him if he's really okay with the public thinking that Shanann had killed the kids, even though she might have had nothing to do with this. He then continues to say yes because he did not hurt the girls. This was really hard for investigators to believe as she was 15 weeks weeks pregnant and had just gotten back from a trip with her friend. Why would she just go upstairs 
and kill her kids. Yeah, what, what, what made her snap like that? So investigators at this point believe that Chris murdered the whole family. Even though investigators didn't believe his story, they did believe that they were making progress. Mm. After police took photos of him, he was arrested. And that night, police began to dig up the ground and find the girls. Shanann was found curled up, which gave the impression that she was just thrown into the hole and not actually placed into it. And it comes out later in... He ends up writing to some journalist... And he says to that journalist, the reason why she was lying the way she was, was because he threw her out and he was just so disgusted with her that he couldn't even be bothered to move her. That is fucking disgusting. Yeah. Chris said that the girls were in the oil tanks and at 1.30 a.m. police knew that they weren't going to be able to get it done that night. So they went there the next morning and there was a lot of tension as... The process to drain the tanks was going to be a lot, but everyone there subconsciously knew what they were going to find at the end of this. Investigators questioned if the girls could have even fit into the top holes of the tanks. That's how small it was. Please don't tell me he dismembered them. Okay. And they also couldn't see the girls when they first looked into the tank to look down the hole. They couldn't see any bodies. So, they kind of felt like Chris could have still been lying. However, when one of the oil tanks were opened, on the lid was a chunk of hair. And this confirmed that the girls were inside the tanks. The first tank emptied had Cece inside, who was still in her nightgown. The second tank had Bella. Now, investigators had to figure out the causes of death to see if it lined up with Chris's story. They found that Shanann had died of of asphyxiation due to manual strangulation. The most significant injuries were those found on Bella. She had injuries that suggested she had fought back while someone was attacking her. Chris had told them that she saw Shanann strangle the girls, but the pathologist concluded that Bella died from asphyxiation from manual smothering, not strangulation. This proved that Chris was lying about what Shanann had done. This made investigators believe that he was solely responsible for the death of the entire family, including their unborn child, Nico. Therefore, he was charged for that in the only way police had available to them, which is called wrongful termination of a pregnancy, as that was the only way that they could try and get justice for Nico. Yeah, because he's... 15 weeks Mm. what is and we don't know what the abortion policy in that if that would even play a a role (laughs) also after finding out about the affair the mistress actually contacted police through a tip line and came in for an interview and investigators concluded that she didn't really have any role to play in the murders Investigators prepare for a murder trial Murder trial, when they receive a phone call from a detective saying that Chris is pleading guilty to all charges. Investigators felt as though they still had things they needed to do, people to talk to, and just overall like there was unfinished business. But they were also happy that the case would be over soon. They just felt like things weren't over. 
Something yeah. was missing. Yes. So the charges he was facing include, there was a few more, but here's some that I found significant. So murder in the first degree after deliberation as to Shannon Watts, murder in the first degree as to Bella Watts, murder in the first degree as to, oh, her name was Celeste, not Cecilia. Okay. My bad. It's okay. Um, Celeste Watts, unlawful termination of a pregnancy as it relates to Nico Watts and more. The one deal Chris made was if he pled guilty to those charges, he would not be subject for the death penalty. It was said that the only way to, that this offer would have been accepted was if that is what Shanann's family wanted. Her mother then stated that Chris made the decision to take the girl's lives and she did not want to be part of the decision to take his. Oh, that's oh, big of her. I would yeah. have been like, kill that motherfucker. Yeah. Ultimately, he was sentenced to three life sentences plus 84 years in prison. Although the case was over, by pleading guilty, he took away the opportunity of the full truth coming out about what happened. Investigators felt like they still needed to clear Shanann's name as she was a loving mother that didn't have anything to do with the girl's deaths. Yeah. On December 3rd, 2018, Chris was moved from Colorado to a correctional, a correctional facility in Wisconsin for security reasons. Investigators and detectives decided to fly out to Wisconsin and have one last conversation with him. On February 19th, 2019, six months since the murders, detectives say to him that this case is closed and nothing they speak about can get him in any more trouble or change, yeah. the, or change his sentence. Yeah, they just want to know the truth. Yes. They say that the last time they spoke about things... They only really spoke about where the bodies were, and now they want to talk about what actually happened that night. He says, not he, let me rephrase that. Chris says that he told Shanann that he didn't love her anymore, and that's when it happened. He got on top of her, and they were fighting because he was sitting on her, and she kept saying that he was going to hurt the baby, and in that moment, she tells him that, sh that he will never get to see the kids again. And that is when he begins to strangle her. He then said that Bella came into the room holding her little blanket and asked what was wrong with her mom as she was lying face down on the bed. And Chris just puts a plan into action. Bella watches as he puts Shanann in the car and he grabs his lunchbox for work and puts the kids into the car. Now the kids are in the back seat and he's put Shanann in the back at their feet so the girls kept asking chris what was wrong with shanann and he just kept telling him that she was going to be fine he said that he didn't really want them looking at her so he put a trash bag over her legs and over her head the scary part is nobody at this point ever thought that the girls were still alive when this had happened everyone thought that the girls were already dead and only now six months later are they finding out that those two little girls were still alive? Chris says that on their way there, the girls were holding each other and kind of falling asleep. When they got there, he took Shanann out and made the girls stay in the truck. He comes back from burying Shanann and he first smothered Cece. He covered her mouth and her nose with his hand. And once he was certain she had passed away, he took her up to the oil tanks and threw her inside all while bella was watching he then came back mm. to bella and did the same thing to her and what is so devastating is he even says that 
When he got to the car, Bella looked at him and she said to him, are you going to hurt me too, daddy? And he said that every night when he closes his eyes, he hears Bella scream, daddy, no, please don't hurt me. Detectives ask him if he thinks he did this out of mercy in a sense that he didn't want the girls to suffer later on in life with a dead Mm. mother and a murder father. And he says the most disgusting response I've ever heard in my entire life. And he turns around and he says that you could maybe say that after the pact, but during it, he kind of just did it more out of anger with Shanann. And this just shows to me that he really... That she really couldn't have done anything because he did this knowing this was the final way he could hurt her. Yeah. He even said, and I quote, All I could feel was now I was free to be with Nikki. Feelings of my love for her was overcoming me. I felt no remorse. The darkness inside me had won. It was still in me, though I thought maybe permanently. I felt evil swallowed up. I felt evil swallowed up by this thing inside of me it felt like i could kill anything and be justified for doing it another weird thing to note that i found throughout through another source mm-hmm. um was at 139 oh 139 at 10:39 a.m he had searched some really strange things he a first googled a four-star top secret aspen hotel which we can assume is for him and nikki He called his daughter's school and unenrolled them. He contacted his real estate agent to put the house on sale and googled lyrics from the Metallica song Battery. The lyrics include this, quote, Pounding out aggression, turns into obsession, cannot kill the battery, cannot kill the family, battery is found in me. What the actual, what the actual. He also said that Nikki challenged him to search those lyrics so that they could discuss what they really meant. An also interesting fact that apparently those oil tanks are also supposedly known as batteries. What the fuck now, did you just do to me? Now, to talk a little bit more about Nikki before we end this all off. She was a geologist. She went to school. She had degrees. Very smart. She lived in Colorado for most of her life. She said to Chris that her ex was abusive and that because of that, she deleted all her social media and even got her mail delivered to her dad's house. When they first met, Chris would say things like Nikki put him on a leash and he was hers from the moment they met. He even sent her love letters, some some even consisting of lyrics confessing his love and implying big things were in store for them. However, in prison, he has apparently found religion and when asked about her, he told the journalist to go and read a proverb, which in the end reads this, quote, Don't let your heart lead you to an evil woman. Don't go where she wants to lead you. She has brought down some of the most powerful men. She has left many dead bodies in her path. Her house is the place of death. The road to it leads straight to the grave. When she went for an interview, she admitted to the affair, which police already knew. However, she had deleted all her texts with Chris, as well as all his contact information. She even contacted one of her friends and asked her to delete all the messages that she had sent her friend about Chris. She had even googled if those messages would be found by police. That's my case, y'all. 
I have nothing. Is he going to be spending the rest of his life in prison? Yes. He cannot. I am pretty sure I am speaking under correction. Let me Google it while I speak. But I am pretty sure he is not eligible for parole ever. What the fuck? I don't even want to speculate about the fact that maybe they planned it together or she had some shit to do with it. If she did, fuck her. And he is serving three life sentences plus 40. Well, this one says he is serving five life sentences plus 48 years in prison without the possibility of parole. So he's just there till he dies. Yeah. Fucking fantastic. Okay. We need that. Finally. Uh, right? Finally. Um, if she did have something to do with this, fucking... Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I just feel as though now that he spoke about her the way he did most recently, if she did have something to do with it, I think he would have said something. Yeah, I don't know. Because this can either be him acknowledging that she was a bad influence or he's just using all of this as a ruse for I don't know what fucking reason to make himself seem a little bit better to make himself feel a little bit better maybe he maybe the guilt finally got to him and I was justifying it to say oh but she has some responsibility in this yeah maybe she does but that does not lessen your responsibility on this that does not lessen just because somebody else is involved does not take a fucking inch away Mm. from what you did. 100%. Not at all. You're a grown-ass fucking man. After that, what... Oh, I can't. I can't. I'm... I I don't even know what to say. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Girl, next time, buy me dinner first. Because I like to be wined and dined before I get fucked. Okay? I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I'm very scared to see what S has to bring us for Minnesota Monday. And this is going to become revengeful. Yeah, this is going to get bad. But we will see you guys in just a few sleeps. Yeah. I can't wait to be back. I miss you already. And um, guys, as per usual, drink some water today. Have some fresh air. Maybe go for a walk. Tell someone you love them. Touch some grass. Do your thing. Just, uh... And if you cry in the shower, blame the shampoo. Amen. Mm. Slay. Bye. Bye.